You know it's funny. People on the outside don't really get what's going on. But they always got something to say. <laughs> yeah. What's going on, folks? This is Daryl, your host of Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast, where we discuss issues that impact black and millennial communities while having a good drink. New year, uh, same me. Not the same, but we're constantly evolving. I realized today that you all don't really know me. There are many of you who are supporting me because you know me well, and I appreciate that greatly. But there are also many listeners on here who only know me for my views. You don't know me personally. You don't know me as a human. And today we're, we're going to try to change that. Now, by the end of this episode, you won't have a deep, meaningful relationship with and understanding of Daryl Anthony Daniels Jr. But you'll have more of a full understanding of who I am as a human being and how I came to be who I am on the, what, 4th? The 4th of January, 2021. Just about said 2020. You know how it is getting used to the year switching over. But, as usual, I'm going to start with the drink of the day. Today I decided to make a cocktail. Uh, It's an old-fashioned. I used Old Tub Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It is distilled by the Jim Beam uh, Distilling Company. And it's amazing. Y'all will hear me reference James, who was uh, one of my guests during season one. James is a whiskey aficionado. He knows more than a little bit about what whiskeys are, are good. He's really taken a liking to the to the spirit and to really developing his understanding of what makes a good quality whiskey be it you know it's not it's never the price there are some really really terrible expensive whiskeys and there are some pretty damn good inexpensive ones so yeah this uh old tub i think um jim bean probably bought it out from the original company but yeah i made an old-fashioned with it let's see pretty good so usually i do an old-fashioned completely by myself no pre-made mixes or anything like that but a couple weeks ago i got a gift set um it was an elijah craig gift set and in it came the standard elijah craig but it had an old-fashioned mix with it and so i was like oh okay cool we'll we'll try this out see how it works and um so i just did that It's it's a quick fix when i don't feel like pouring you know proper measure measurements into the the glass because i'm being lazy and just want a quick drink um it's a pretty good go-to so old tub whiskey elijah craig um old-fashioned mix have a um drunken cherry inside of it and of course an orange peel i didn't have to use simple syrup because it comes mixed in already with the the old-fashioned mix pretty cool Who is Daryl? I'm going to start at the beginning. I was born on December 3rd, 1987. 
I'm sure some of my younger fraternity brothers who listen to this regularly are still baffled at, you know, that 1987 stuff because they were born in... Being that it's 2021, I have brothers in my chapter who were born in 2000. That trips me out sometimes. So I was I was 13 when they were, they were born. Born in 1987 to Daryl Anthony Daniels Sr. and Phyllis Green Daniels. Dad's from Durham originally. Oh, I was born in Durham, North Carolina. Um, Dad is from Durham originally. Mom is from Trenton, North Carolina. Oh, excuse me. Born in Kinston, North Carolina. Raised in Trenton, North Carolina. Um, very, very small town. Durham isn't a big city in relation to the rest of the world. But Trenton is not a blip on the map in relation to, to Durham. One stoplight town. She was able to get out of there and get an education at the illustrious North Carolina Central University. Uh, shout out to the Eagles. I had a, an opportunity to uh, work there at one point in my professional career, which we'll get into later. But yeah, Eagle Pride, Bull City, um, right around the corner from my great-grandmother's house. Another uh, portion of my life that we'll get into later on. But yeah, born in 87... Was an, was I'm the oldest child. I was Daryl and Phyllis's first, and am Daryl and Phyllis's first born. Um, hence the name. I got the, I got my dad's name. Um, Nineteen. Ooh. So that year, actually, two weeks or so after I was born, I'm going to tell a very as detailed a story as I can fit into maybe thirty minutes of my life. Maybe forty-five. We'll see just so that you all can get a full scope of who I am, how I am, the way I am, and why I'm here, um, and, and the purpose that I am looking to serve. So, in um, 1987, I was born. In 1987, both of my great-grandfathers passed. Um, both of these men, both of my, excuse me, both of my paternal great-grandfathers passed. Both of these men played a huge role in my father's upbringing. Um, my great-grandfather Everett passed in either June or July of 1987. I never had the opportunity to meet him, but he was a role model for my father. He truly helped mold him. He was dad's father figure. And, um, and yeah, I, I've just heard, heard you know wonderful things about him. For my dad, for my grandma, uh, other family members. So I never had the chance to meet him. Was born, you know, but he, he knew I was on the way, so I'm sure he said a couple prayers for me. Then, in at, toward the end of December, right around Christmas, um, if I'm not mistaken, December 23rd of 1987, uh, my father's excuse me, my grandfather's father, so my great-grandfather on um, my paternal side, he he passed as well. He got to hold me one time. Legend has it that he said, that's a fine boy, or that's going to be a fine boy. Um, and so I appreciate that blessing over my life. I think that it has, um, it has played into the man that I am today, it has kept me safe from harms and evils that have um, that have presented themselves in my life. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for the blessing that Granddaddy Herman spoke into me. We'll go ahead, fast forward to a couple of, through a couple of years. I don't remember, but just to give you some some more context, in 1989, at the age of about one and a half, my my baby sister was born, Asia Morel Daniels. Asia is <laughs> is one of my best friends. She, yeah, yeah, she is. Uh, she's phenomenal. She's spectacular. She is a uh, a professional in the financial sector, um, specifically the human resources um, arm of a financial sector. But yeah, that's my that's my buddy. You know, um, and I, I will actually before I fast forward to Asia, I'll go ahead and go backwards before me. Um, one of my one of my closest friends was born in 1986, uh, February. Same day as my dad. He was born February 10th. Or same date. No. Yes, he was born on the same date as my dad. Not the same day as my dad. So, February 1986. um, February 10th, to be exact. Sean Johnson. uh, First cousin. We are the first grandchildren of Miss Willie Francis Jackson. And he is like an older brother to me, has been for now uh, 33 years. Very, very good gentleman. But yeah, uh, Asia was born September 12th, 1989, closely followed by Damien Christopher Jackson. He was born September 20th, 1989. Um, And he is, so Sean is my dad's baby sister's son. Damien is my dad's younger brother's son. So within the span from 1986 to 1989, my grandmother had four grandchildren born. Um, and it was cool. Like we were, we were good. Uh, the boys of course were tight. We are tight. We are the big three. Um, no disrespect to LeBron, Dwayne Wade and, and Chris Bosh. We, we are the original big three. Uh, cheers to us. I love y'all boys. Asia is is the girl. She was the only girl for quite some time uh, out, of, out of Mickey's grandchildren. But, but yeah. Love them. Then come the 1990s. 1990, I turned three years old. I start to, to learn to read and move. And, my, uh, and I'm getting my personality, right? So my godmother is a librarian or was she's now retired but she was a librarian at the time and so my gift for christmas was guess what very frequently i was getting books from her but i didn't complain i loved reading you know i wasn't i liked video games but i didn't need them to survive so i was happy with the books that i was getting from my mildred and the first book that i read by myself was the giving tree by Shel Silverstein. Amazing book. Um, I've read it a few times since to, to groups of children. And it uh, it still holds weight and holds value because, especially in today's environmental climate, I think we can learn a lot from the book The Giving Tree. Like I said, first book I read by myself, very proud of it. And I still revisit it 
just so I can be reminded of how we need to give back to the earth that we take from so much. So let's jump into 1991. You got you know, new decade, we're in there, and I got a little brother now. A little brother, Philip Andrew Daniels, born September 28th, 1991. Um, I finally had somebody to, to rough up and play with because trying to rough Asia up <laughs> landed me in a heap of trouble with some bumps and bruises. Um, not literally bruises, but uh, nor bumps, but definitely got a couple spankings for for uh, roughing my little sister up. My little brother, man, you know, it was free reign. Go ahead. <laughs> long, as you don't, long as you don't do too much. Uh, and and now I'm gonna kind of kind of dip off from the chronological, or excuse me, I'll be still chronological, but dip away from the the dates. Yeah, Philip, Philip and I had had fun. You know, Sean, <laughs> Sean and I would rough Asia up in like nicer ways. We knew she was a girl, and so we knew that we could only do so much, even when we were wilding. Um, I remember one time Sean literally <laughs> tried to put Asia in a in a manhole and he had me running lookout for him. We were in some apartment complex that we were staying in in Durham or or uh, yeah, I think yeah, we were staying at some apartment complex in Durham and so we're outside playing and like Sean's like, yo, here just just get down there. Y'all y'all seen the little the little it memes like I got candy over here with the clown. Like he basically tried to get my sister in one of those things, uh, and we got in trouble for for that. Asia did not like <laughs> did not like manholes for quite some time. We I'm sorry, sis. So Philip came along, and I could I could rough him up a little bit. And I remember one time specifically, I was, mom, sorry, I'm gonna go ahead and tell it. My parents used to leave us at home. You know, child social services can't come and get you now mom they used to leave us at home and we're like yo if something happens call my pager um but you know daryl you're the babysitter you're eight years old i was a pretty mature kid i won't lie what i'm about to tell you is not mature but i was a fairly mature eight-year-old i mean my parents my parents are pretty smart people and they they thought they could leave me alone with my brother and sister it wasn't for like an all night thing. It was probably for an hour or two to go out to dinner or something. Left us at home and I remember that I had just watched Last Action Hero recently. If y'all remember that, it was a <laughs> a very good film. At the time, I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal action film with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I'm watching Last Action Hero and dude has bulletproof vest on, right? So he's got on bulletproof vest and Philip watched it with me. And so then Philip decides to put on a life jacket, right? And, you know, like one of the things that you swim in so that you don't drown. He puts on the life jacket. We had watched Last Action Hero, and Arnold Schwarzenegger had gotten shot, and the bullet didn't pierce him. And so you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Well, this life jacket is the same thing. So Philip puts the life jacket on, tells me to hit him as hard as he can, right? Because that's my little brother, and he wants to be big, he wants to be grown. <laughs> I, being the very uh, smart eight-year-old I am, I know that the life jacket is not a bulletproof vest, but maybe it serves a similar purpose. I don't know. My eight-year-old mind thinks, you know, it's a thicker vest. Maybe it does something. Maybe it'll protect him. So Philip says, hit me as hard as you can. 
I cock back and I punch him dead in his chest. Now, mind you, we're four years in, in age difference, just about. Like a couple months off, so basically four years different. So he's, I'm eight, he's four. He goes flying back into a wall. And next thing I hear is just crying, just this serious, you know, he, he hasn't gone through puberty yet. So high pitched, just yelling. I have to call my parents on, uh, on the, or I have to call my dad's pager. <laughs> well, I got my butt toe up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we had fun. We, me and my brother and sister had fun. You know, we've had, we've had years of it. And I think that the older we get, the more fun we have because the more we understand each other as individuals and we understand, you know, I'm, I am the, the paternal one. I'm very fatherly. Uh, my sister, that girl's a nurturer. My brother's the baby, and he's gonna be the baby, and you know he's growing up now, but but he's still he's still the baby boy, and, and the women love to to take care of him. Mom, grandma, sister, they love to take care of him and make sure that he is all right. Don't nobody give a damn about your boy. Uh, <laughs> they just be like Daryl gonna figure it out, but my brother is um, that's Philip. We'll jump into to education. I had the, um, at the time, what I thought was a curse. I had the privilege of going to school in the Chapel Hill Carborough School District. While we were, we moved around more than I would like um, during my, my childhood and adolescence. Uh, didn't own a house the whole time. But we were able to stay in, in school, in the Chapel Hill City School System, and stay in the schools that my parents selected for us, which were top tier. I don't know how. I, I really don't, because <laughs> we should have been kicked out. Uh, it, these days, you know, they be throwing people in jail for trying to get into the the school systems that they're not um, districted for. But I got a private school education for free at the time. Chapel Hill High School was literally not not even joking. Top ten in the nation. Like people say, yeah, I'm top ten. I'm top ten. No, we were rate, rated by a Princeton Review or whatever. Um, or like, uh, yeah, we read about by Princeton Review and and like U.S. Magazine as a top ten um, public school in the country. So I had the opportunity to go to school with uh, through I mean throughout from preschool through twelfth grade, the sons and daughters of, of many doctors and lawyers and professors. Um, if you don't know, Chapel Hill is the home of the nation's first public university, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. You might know them better as the Tar Heels. You've heard the term Carolina Blue. You've seen the number 23 on the jersey. It is a school of distinction internationally. So I went to school in the town with the kids of the professors who taught at that, at that university. And it was, it was a privilege that I could not appreciate at the time because I was just, I was too young and I wanted to be in school in Durham with Sean and Damien and Cody rest in peace and and everyone else but life didn't work out that way and so I had to go to the school with the white kids just keeping it a buck but I got a, I got a great education there I met some amazing people and I was able to it taught me it taught me to turn it on and off it taught me that I can say the same thing in different rooms in different ways and get my point across. It helped me to enter into spaces that I otherwise would not be in 
So for that, I am I am very grateful and appreciative of my parents for making that sacrifice because it was not it was not easy. Um, they had to drive us to school many times. They had to pick us up from school. I went to school um, in Chapel Hill. I went to church in Durham. I went to the historic White Rock Baptist Church. And this was from about the time, oh, excuse me, the beginning of my life, seven and before, we actually went to um, Zion Temple, which was my family church. So every Sunday, the whole family was right there. It's off of Andrew Avenue. Um, and we just, you know, it was, it was every Sunday, family time on, you know, and then, and then the park was right across the street, C.R. Woods Park. You know, it was a, it was a very good time of my life. But something happened. I don't know. I was seven years old. The whole family stopped going to Zion Temple about the same time. And we kind of split up. Uh, my grandma started going back to the, the church that my father's, that my father went to when they were younger. We went, we ended up going to White Rock. So White Rock is the historic church. Um, legend has it that, well, excuse me, I'll, I'll give fact first. Dr. Martin Luther King preached at white rock baptist church um i believe on numerous occasions but i will i will toss out some uh legend here he was supposed to, well this is actually confirmed it's confirmed that he was supposed to be in durham north carolina the day he was assassinated it's rumored that he was supposed to be speaking at white rock baptist church on the day he was assassinated so yeah, this is a very prominent institution um if you don't know about durham durham is an old black money town it is one of the black wall streets um, there were many across the nation white people decided they didn't want to see successful black people and so they raped pillaged and murdered in order to keep us from being successful and then left the ruins um, and injected in those ruins cocaine and crime but prior to Durham was one of the uh, many Black Wall Streets from around the country, but it was one of the more prominent and recognized ones, especially in the South. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to rub elbows with those Black Wall Street leaders and, and gain and glean from them the wisdom that allowed them to build what now will be um, recognized for the rest of history as one of the great moments in black history one of many white rock was was a great experience i gained some great friends there went there from the age of i want to say seven until 18 a little bit longer i mean i went, I went to college at 18 but still uh, ended up receiving a scholarship from white rock every year of my undergrad experience i'm, I'm gratefully appreciative of what I was able to gain there because this is the thing right Chapel Hill taught me to talk to rich white kids the bull taught me to talk to people who were like me as far as economic status um, <laughs> far from wealthy and White Rock taught me how to interact with those those African-Americans who had made it to a certain um, certain economic level 
that I aspired to at the time. Um, I really wanted to be like those black people who served as a beacon. Those of us who, who started banks and institutions and organizations that uplifted black people and said, we don't need a white savior. So it was great to be in those spaces, move in those rooms, speak to those people and impress them. I always worked to speak with such eloquence and, and diction that they knew, you know what, if we want to see what the next generation is going to look like, Daryl is it. It was, um, it was really cool. So that's, that's my childhood, my adolescence. Um, oh, and I'll toss in, you know, I went to school, of course, played, played sports, um, football, basketball, um, was, you know, a top tier student athlete, but I had my, my vices as well. I love women. I loved women. Uh, <laughs> I got suspended from school, middle school twice transparency full transparency um very much regret it right now but i grabbed the butt of one girl and i made a move on another girl um and both times you know teachers were like hey that's inappropriate but yeah that was the you know i was it was a different point in history i got in trouble for it. my my father was not having it he was like yo we respect women in this family that was one of my one of my lower points but wasn't perfect. I uh, got suspended in high school for fighting. And the thing is, in high school, I got suspended for fighting with my best friend. Like, since fifth grade, me and Jinx have been tight. Uh, right now, I would not dare go hand-to-hand with that man. He is a recognized professional fighter. Um, he's been in quite a few boxing matches. Um on a semi-pro level, and now trains uh, MMA fighters, so there's no way in the world I would fight that man right now, (laughs) but, you know, we were kids, and we got into it, because we were talking about who did or didn't start in in a game or something, Matt was a better cornerback than I was, yeah, that's my boy though, love you bro, now let's move on to to undergrad oh no Phew. sorry I also want to talk about about travel I would spend quite a bit of time for a young man of my status quite a bit of time in New Jersey and New York because my dad's family was up there um, yes my dad was born and raised in Durham my dad's mom stayed in Durham however my dad's dad my grandfather uh, he left and moved up to to New Jersey and had a family up there. And so I was um, fortunate enough to go. And then my mom has uh, some nieces and nephews in the city as well. So I, I went up to New York and New Jersey um, pretty frequently and got to see them, especially as I got as I got older. I did a lot more traveling, um, and it was it was just great. Basically, my traveling until I got to college, really until I got out of college, most of my traveling took me to New York, New Jersey, 
Georgia. I did Florida one time for a church trip. I did Mississippi right after Hurricane Katrina hit. Um, of course, D.C. It's a four-hour drive from Durham. So a couple times my family went to visit some family we had up there to see some museums and that and other. But basically it was New York and New Jersey for me. Like Those were my, my go-to spots. <laughs> after I graduated from high school, a close family friend of, of ours don't like to name drop but i'm going to this time Wenton marsalis Wenton gave me the keys to his his manhattan west 56th street i believe um right off of the hudson river he gave me the keys to his apartment for a week now you've given an 18 year old keys to your apartment and it's just me and Wenton jr and we have free reign I mean, we're going into uh, Habibi's store, and we're we're copping forties, and we having girls over, and we're just having parties in this. No lie, million dollar, which you know now the value's gone up, but million dollar penthouse. It was the most fun I had had in my life, or one of the one of the most fun. Up to that point, it was the most fun I had in my life. More fun than playing football or basketball or, or dancing with girls at parties or anything. Like, that was an experience because I just, I felt like the king of the world. And this is coming from a kid who doesn't have a lot. Um, you know, my family, there were times where we didn't have. Like, there were times where I rode my bike to the grocery store because the car was in the shop and wasn't coming out. I'm going to keep it a buck. Like, the car didn't come out of the shop. And so, for three months, I'm riding down the street. And then I'm right. I remember one time specifically. This is this is wow. This, I'm not even. I'm not sure why I'm this transparent. What's the proof on this old tub? Ah, I need proof. Well, I didn't have that much. It's one drink. Um, but I'll just be transparent with y'all. There was one time that I rode my bike to the grocery store, and I'm riding back home. Groceries on the handlebars, obviously carrying more weight than I'd like to. And obviously doing something that was uncommon in a city of, of rich kids. And I had a crush on this white girl. Wealthy white girl. You know, I, I was texting or no, was I? Yeah, I was texting her at the time. I, I had purchased my own cell phone. I didn't get a cell phone until later because I had to pay for it myself. But yeah, I, I was texting her and calling her and we were we were talking at night on the phone or whatever, right? So it was cool. But I'm I'm riding back from the grocery store and she pulls up in she had something like a Range Rover, Range Rover, Land Rover, one or the other. Like she was, her family was good. She pulls up beside me while I'm riding across an intersection and she honks and I start to swerve. I remember this like it's yesterday because I wasn't expecting anybody to honk at me. And I'm like, oh shit. And I'm just so embarrassed. And she's like, hey, do you, do you know, you want to put your, your bike in the back and I'll just drive you home? I was like, nah. <laughs> I'm just out for a bike ride like it was a normal ride like I didn't have um, groceries on my handlebars but that was my reality at the time so to, to be someone who, who doesn't come from much I was grateful to have the opportunity to study at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro my, I told y'all my mom went to North Carolina Central University um, my dad went to Appalachian State he was actually a very good football player, but just was short. Like I'm taller than my dad, and I'm not tall. I'm 5'8", 
and a half. I'm always throw that half on there. Um, I might round up to five nine, but I'm five eight and a half. Um, my dad was five four, and was a very good football player. Like I heard it from everyone. You know, my dad worked hard at what he did, but was never good enough to go any further than high school because yeah, he was fast, but he was short and he was small. I on the on the same token, I was I was quick. Um, I wasn't as strong as I am now. I wasn't as heavy as I am now. But you know, I I was a hard worker. But I knew football was never going to be my ticket out, um, or into not out. It was never going to be my ticket to something better. So I worked harder on academics. And um, yeah, my dad went to App State, and then he transferred to Carolina, and. Sadly, I never really got to talk to him about why he didn't finish. Um, he went to school, didn't finish. And so I got to, to go ahead and finish for him. Um, I went to UNCG. I had a great five-year experience there. Took advantage of all of the opportunities that I could. Leadership, um, extracurricular, and... I really, I have very few regrets outside of my GPA, which was not as stellar as it was prior to, to pledging, um, but yeah, pledged the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, um, Playboy Pi Zeta Chapter, y'all probably heard me say that a few times on here, I love the bros, um, I, I would not trade that experience for the world, I would have done something differently on my end, but I would not reverse reverse the um the opportunity to get to know some of the and build some of the relationships that i i did as a result of that um, while there i met a couple of the guests that i've had on this podcast um namely uh, vince actually yeah i would have very few of the guests i have right now so yeah met vince there um met george there george is my fraternity brother LaFell's wife went to UNCG and then we got tight. I introduced LaFell and Vince, I believe. And um, James, I met James at UNCG. And most importantly, I met Desiree at UNCG. So yeah, Corey Bennett was on this season. Met him at UNCG. I've, I I had a wonderful experience there. I am I had other options as far as universities went. Out of the four schools I applied to, I got into three of them. But I would not have, I would not be the man I am right now uh, without the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it at all. We will go ahead and fast forward to graduation. Graduated in 2011, gotten there in 2006, so like I said, five year plan. Um, and I was, I was. I was happy. My dad was happy. My mom was happy. I was there. The first, actually, I was the first grandchild of Mickey Willie Francis Jackson. Um, they call her Mickey because she she's small like Mickey Mouse. But yeah, I, I, her first grandchild to graduate from an undergraduate program. Um, Sean transferred, and so you know he had to, to, to do a little bit more time than I did, but. I graduated, Sean graduated, Asia graduated, 
Aisha actually graduated in 2011 as well, so I did a little bit more time too. You know, Sean definitely not a knock at you. We we get out when we get out, and we got out. Yeah, we all got out with our, our bachelors. But yeah, graduated in 2011. Asia did as well. I mean, I went from my graduation to Asia's in the same weekend. I'm proud of that one. Um, she didn't uh, get everything she wanted out of undergrad, but I think she got everything that she needed out. And and yeah, I love her for it. Um, so got out, and I'm I'm pausing because then then the hard shit hits. So after I got out, I didn't have a job. <laughs> when I graduated high school in 2006, the economy was booming. I mean, everything was good. People were making money hand over fist. I never really understood that term, still don't, but it's the term that means you're making a lot of money, so I'm going to use it. So people were making a lot of money in 2006. Um, you know, the economy was, was just doing well. I think you, you had very few complaints. And so when I let people know I was graduating from high school, I got buku money. I mean, it was it was no game. Then you you fast forward to 2011, and the economy has changed drastically. Um, you have a whole new president. You have a new Congress. You know, everything has shifted. Um, you've had a a recession. I think I'm going to graduate and get graduation money like I did from high school or more because now shit I'm graduating from college give me more money I need more money man nah that didn't happen got maybe maybe two thousand dollars in high school I got like five or six so I was I was oh gosh this is not a good time and I didn't have a job couldn't pay my rent I was dodging literally Dodging the uh, the apartment complex manager for student housing that I, li- that I lived in because my lease still had another you know four months on it I think and I'm like oh gosh I can't even pay rent so I'm you know when I'm there my LB my ace Steven he's not gonna go yeah yeah Daryl's not here right now all right yeah I'll let him know all right thanks and that's every day I was so broke and so was Steven. Steven uh, was working some retail job, but he was holding down the rent. And um, so we were so broke, but me specifically, because I wasn't even paying my rent, uh, that we would share our, we would, sh- we would have what we called Kentucky dinners. We would go get a four piece from Kentucky Fried Chicken with the side. And I don't know why alcohol was important at the time, but we would get Kentucky Gentleman, which is, I had it earlier on the, on the, um, it might have been this season, maybe last, but a terrible bourbon. I mean, one of the worst I've ever had. Um, and that would be what we would call a Kentucky dinner. We still joke about it because we will never do that again. Lord willing, you know, knock on wood. No, we, we just didn't have it. So that was tough. And then I started get when I, when I realized, yo, I got to go get this job. I got to get a job. I get a job. I bought a coffee machine. That's what I invested my money in. I bought a coffee machine and I banged out applications. I mean, I didn't sleep. I just did application after application after application after application. At this time, Desiree had moved to Charlotte because she got a job down there. Um, so I'm, I'm in Greensboro just banging out applications every night, every night, every night. And I finally 
get one to go through for real. And someone, uh, someone called me, and you know they want to offer me, and uh, or, or you know they want me to go through a phone screening. All right, cool. And then one weekend, Desiree wants to wants me to come down to Charlotte. So she's in Greensboro. I didn't have a car at the time. Um, didn't have a license, nothing. So she's in Greensboro, and she's going to drive back, and I'm going to ride back with her. And my parents are, are also there because Asia didn't want to uh, stay with them. Um, and I'll probably get into this in another episode. But she wanted to uh, she wanted to spend the time with me and Philip. Philip at the time was a sophomore at North Carolina A&T. Philip at the time was a sophomore at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Um, and so, or he was a sophomore, maybe going into his junior year. Asia wanted to, to spend some time with us because she just didn't feel like staying at home. And Desiree was there. My mom was there. My dad was there. My brother and my sister. We were all at my apartment in Greensboro. It was just good to be with the whole family. Because the next day, my father went to the hospital and never woke up again. Um, I had already experienced loss in college. In 2007, my great-grandmother, Polly Williams, uh, her husband, Herman Williams, is the one who said I was going to be a fine boy at the beginning of this story. Um, she was one of my best friends. I love that woman. Uh, there's a tattoo for her on my chest. She was one of my best friends. And she passed away. Um, due to old age, I mean, you know, she was just, she was up there. Um, she was she was in her upper 80s. She passed away. I carried her casket at the funeral. Um, and that was, that was my buddy. That was my buddy. So, then in 2011, when my father went into his coma and passed away, it was bad. It was bad for me. Um, I was, I'm the, the oldest son. I had to be there emotionally for my mother, for my grandmother, um, for my sister. I felt like the weight was on me. And I didn't know who I could lean on. But I actually remember, man, um, shout out to my boy Devin. You know, he, uh, Devin Smith, he'll be on this season. But Dev and I were, were together. I was going back and forth between Greensboro and Durham because when he went into the coma, when Dad went to the coma, I didn't know. I didn't know that this was it. I thought he could wake up. I didn't know that after a couple days they were going to say that his brain was no longer functioning. And when I found that out, I was in Greensboro. And shout out to Dozier. Uh, Stephen Dozier, who was my roommate at the time, he he uh, drove me to Durham at whatever time in the morning. I think it was like 5 in the morning because I had to be there by 8 to talk with the person who was going to decide what we wanted to do as far as... Uh, cutting off life support um, but yeah Devin Devin was there for me in, in a way that he might not even remember but just helped me take my mind off of it um, but it was a very challenging time and because I had no one to lean on in my opinion no one who would understand because I was one of my first friends to lose a parent 
I was 23 years old. My dad was 52. I drank. Uh, I drank and I drank and I drank. And I drank to the point that I was functioning well. Because thankfully, I was so young that my body, you know you know how it is. After you turn 30, bouncing back from drinking is not as easy as it is before you're 30. I was knocking them back. And like I said, the cool thing was I had actually just gotten hit up, hit up before about a job. And so after my father's funeral service, or right before my father's funeral service, they told me I, I got the job. And it was down in Charlotte because I was trying to be around Desiree. But it was a... Uh, it was a tough time. And I was functioning through it, but I wasn't functioning in, the, in a healthy fashion. Um, I should have been seeing a therapist immediately. My whole family should have because none of us functioned properly after. Asia did the best job. I don't know if she did go see a therapist. I actually probably should ask her. But Asia did the best job of functioning um, immediately after. And Asia, actually, she started a job soon before. So maybe it was the fact that she was employed gainfully at the time but it was just it was not a, a good time for my myself or my family after that i moved down to charlotte lived in charlotte for about five years um had a few jobs and uh then desiree's mother's cancer came back and desiree and i we started dating in 2010 so 2000 14 we moved back to Durham because she's from Durham as well and her mother's cancer came back with a vengeance and so that ended up taking her out and so that ended up taking her from us and now here we are um, two young educated black folks missing our direct counterparts in what is a marriage um, I proposed to Desiree in 2014 we got married in 2015 and over the past six seven years uh, you know we, we've been coping with that struggle together so y'all got me on education, family, um, personally, I love to write, I love to uplift people, I love to connect individuals with one another and, and help them grow together, um, and then professionally, I am a development professional. So what the hell is development, right? Development is fundraising. I never knew that it was a real field. I knew that, that there were philanthropists, but I did not know the process that went into philanthropy until I was asked by Devin to be his development director and had no clue as to you know what that was. Um, and so he had he had a magazine. He was like, "Yo, I need I need a director of development. Can you do this?" You're good at raising money. So I was like, yeah. But I didn't know. I just said, yeah, because I was that confident in myself. And then I got some formal training when I came to the School of Law at North Carolina Central University. I was the director of annual giving. And from there, you know, I did, I did quite a bit of professional development. 
shout out to Ted Myers, my first boss in the field. Uh, from there, I went to Duke School. Once again, more professional development. From Duke School, took a little break, did some uh, marketing and development work at um, Table in, in Chapel Hill. From there, did some marketing development work at Advanced Carolina. From there, I'm currently the development coordinator for ReCity and Durham and have begun my own um, development consulting firm, development and storytelling consulting firm. I take photographs, uh, I write, I love, I don't, I don't know. I, this, this is just me. I felt like for a season and a half, y'all have been listening to me talk about values and and opinions and perspectives but you don't know me and how am I going to talk about narratives without you all knowing my narrative so this is who I am uh, it's who I'm growing to be and hope you all continue to rock with me I'm out thanks for tuning in today as always you can find us on Instagram Facebook and Twitter at narrow podcast That's N-A-R-R-O-W podcast. Additionally, we love reviews, constructive criticism, feedback, and any topics you'd like to hear in the future. Thank you for your support. Catch you again next week, same time, same place. Peace. The Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast is a subsidiary of Daniels Development and Branding, LLC. Here for all of your fundraising, creative direction, and storytelling needs.